Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Now, we've talked about this before, but I have to say it. Sometimes I miss being a Methodist. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you why I miss being a Methodist today, and and maybe some of you will go, oh, that makes sense, and some of you say, well, I just need to lift the pastor up in prayer a little bit more. But if we were in a Methodist church, on the altar there would be two candles, one on the right and one on the left. And if it was a high Methodist church, and I've served several of these, the worship team wouldn't just wander up to the front. We would all be crammed in the back in the narthex. Right behind a little kid with a long stick with a flame on the end. It's a little bit terrifying if you've used too much hairspray that day, right? And the little kid would have on, at my last church, it was a red robe with the the white chasuble on top. And the kid would walk in, and then the choir would walk in behind the kid, and the pastors would come in behind, and we would all stop at the center and then split and come around. The choir would go to the choir loft, and the kid would light makes very important, if you're taking notes, would light the candle on the right first and the left second. They would put their candle lighter out and they would go sit in the acolyte's chair. Now, in an, in an old-fashioned church, you might remember there's two pulpits. There's actually a lectern on that side, which had the big old-fashioned Bible on it. And there was a pulpit on that side. And you read the word of God on that side. So this is the word candle. And hopefully your Baptist brain is going, oh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That candle represents Jesus. This side is proclamation. You read the word here and you talk about the word here. And that side is where the senior pastor would sit and he would sit there and preach there. After we had worshiped and sung and read and preached, the cute little kid would pick up their candlestick. Before anybody left, the last hymn was going on. Usually, I always told the kids, because I trained the acolytes, on the third verse, they would come down and they would put out the proclamation candle. They would take their taper over to the Christ candle and they would light their taper from the Christ candle. They would put the Christ candle out. So the light of God is now on the taper. And the cute little kid would lead down the middle of the aisle and the choir would come behind and the pastors would come behind. Now I need to tell you the first church I served was Balakimid United Methodist, and they called it the Cathedral on the Main Line. It was built in the style of the old French cathedrals. It had 50-foot granite columns. It had stained glass all the way down on the side. It had a big, um, what's it called, a rosette. There wasn't a picture. It was just a beautiful rosette in the back of the church. It was stunning. There was a full pipe organ that I used to sneak in at night when I was writing sermons and turn it on as loud as I could and play until we got complaints from the neighbors. It, It was a church. 
And it was my job to train the acolytes. I trained the acolytes. It was also my job to make sure that every acolyte had a bulletin on their chair so they could follow the service so they knew when to leave. And if the acolyte didn't show up, I found a substitute or I was the acolyte. On special occasions, we had a crucifer, probably a word you've never used in the Baptist church, but right behind the kid with the, can- uh, the, the t- candle lighter was a kid who carried this eight-foot wooden stick with a bronze cross on the top, and it got put right in the center of worship. They wanted us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was leading us into worship And at the end of the service, Jesus was leading us out into the mission field. So this week I had a dream. This is not a made-up dream. I had this dream on Tuesday night. And I was in Kings doing a children's sermon, and I was holding, you may have seen these in some churches, the the Paschal candle that you use for uh, the Advent wreath, the big one that goes in the middle. I mean, it was... It was the size of a baseball bat. And I was explaining to the children in my dream that God is brokenhearted because the church no longer carries Christ with them when they leave. And tears were running down my face in my dream and I sat bolt upright in Tuesday night. And I said, well, I guess I better write that sermon. So here we are. The church is not a safety deposit box where we keep grace. The church is not a fortress to protect us from the world. The church is not a secret society of believers that need to know the secret password and handshake. The church is a place to worship. The church is a place to baptize. The church is a place to make disciples. But most importantly, the church is a place from which we have to go. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So let's check in with the scripture today because the scripture and the sermon do go together. It is frustrating for those of us who live in a linear age that these stories in the Bible don't tell us exactly when they happened after the resurrection. You might remember last week that we're not exactly sure when Thomas met the risen Christ. It could have been 10 days. It could have been 14 days. Here we go again in Luke. Jesus appears to the disciples. But the story is still the same. It's just... It's like a six-year-old telling a story. Now, I know you don't hang out with many six-year-olds. I hang out with six-year-olds every day. And they tell, and then, and then, and then, and they go, oh, did I tell you about the part? And they go back and forward and back and forward. And the story doesn't really have what we in the 21st century, we need a beginning, we need a middle, and we need an end. And six-year-olds don't tell the story that way, and the scripture doesn't tell the story that way, because they didn't think that way. I'm afraid that if Luke or whoever, whomever he got this story from, because remember, he collected stories so that he could give the most complete account of the life of Jesus, were in court, and that attorney went... Can you tell us exactly what day and what time this happened? Or where were you 
11 days after Passover, and the poor witness would go, hamana, 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 They didn't think that way. So here's the point. The disciples were afraid. They were doubtful. They were confused. They were scared. And if you had spent three years with Jesus and you had called him Messiah and expected him in the first century mind to come in and conquer the Romans and push them out of Israel and set up the Davidic kingdom, and he had been crucified and buried, wouldn't you be exactly where the disciples were? Luke, like a good storyteller, engages us, I want you to hear this, with all five of the senses. He wants to make sure that in your mind's eye, you can really put yourself in the place of the story. So the first thing they do is they see the risen Christ. It says Jesus appeared to them. But you know what? I heard those stories about ghosts appearing, and they're not really sure if this is the real Jesus or not. Uh, Later on, at the end of the first century, the beginning of the second, there was something called the Gnostic heresy. And they said Jesus' spirit came back, but not his body came back. Well, Luke says, I got you covered. Because we heard his voice. That's sound, right? Sight, sound. And what does Jesus say? Exactly what he said to Thomas. See the nail prints? See? Touch them. Well, I know I've read a couple ghost stories. They're not my favorite. I uh, once was given that book, Skeleton Crew, by Stephen King. It's a whole bunch of short, scary stories. Scared me to death. I do not like scary things. But I know that you can't touch a ghost. I've seen enough TV movies to know that when you go to touch the ghost, your hand goes right through them. Well, not in this story. Jesus says, touch me. I'm not a ghost. You've seen me. You've heard me. You've touched me. Now, I want to go back to the story of Lazarus. Lazarus, remember, was sick. They sent a message to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick, and Jesus loved Lazarus. And he said to his disciples, we're going to wait a couple days before we go. Now, I want you to know that your pastor won't do that. If they call and you say, Pastor, so-and-so is in the hospital, I won't say to Vicki, well, we'll give him a couple days and see how it turns out. I know that you expect me, if the hospital will let me in, in the age of COVID, it doesn't happen often that they let you in, but I'm going to come to the hospital. Now, Jesus says, we're going to wait a couple days. By the time he gets to Lazarus, Lazarus has been dead in the tomb for four days. Jesus talks with Mary, and he talks with Martha, and they they declare once again the resurrection. And he says, no, you're not getting it. Lazarus is going to be alive today. And he goes down to the tomb, and what does he say? Roll the stone away. And do you remember what the girls say? But Lord, I love this in the King James. But Lord, he stinketh. Now, we don't know how long it's been since the resurrection, but we knew that he was bloody. We knew that he was covered in the dirt and the grime and the sweat from carrying the cross. Did you hear anything in the story about the smell of the Savior? No. He's alive, and we know he's not alive. Why? Because we know what dead things smell like. We've all had fish in our refrigerator too long. And they didn't have refrigerators. Their smell came sooner. But I want you to think about that. They saw him. They heard him. They touched him. They smelled him. He didn't smell like a dead person. And then the fifth one, 
Now you're going to say, what? They didn't lick Jesus. No, they didn't lick Jesus. But what did he say? Give me a piece of that fish you're eating. And they ate with Jesus. Now, why is that important? If you're eating something delicious, is it more or less delicious if you eat it with people you love? Jesus is reminding them of the meals they've shared together. So they saw, they heard, they touched, they smelled, they tasted the risen Christ to them. What did he say? You are witnesses. So we as kings, and if you're listening in, in the 13 countries that listen to our sermons online, we have to do a self-diagnostic. We have to ask ourselves, well, are we worshiping? Do we worship together? And I say we get a check for that. We worship together. The praise team leads us in worship. And one day, again, when we're all vaccinated, we will be able to worship again and sing together as the people of God. Do we baptize at Kings? Well, sure we do. When the opportunity arises, we have the baptismal pool right behind me. We baptize. Are we making disciples? Are we, are we teaching people? Are we growing them in the word of God? Well, we have adult Bible study. We have Sunday school. We uh, did the devotionals online during COVID. Yes, I think we make an effort to grow disciples. Well, there's one more question we have to answer. Are we going? Are we carrying the light of Christ with us when we leave the building? What are you carrying with you when you leave our church to go into the world? Do you come here for a good feeling or a good story? Do you come here for good music or fellowship? Or do you come here because you need people to pray for you? Do you come because your heart needs a challenge or you want to hear your favorite song? Do you need a new idea or you, you like to see what new acrostic the pastor can come up with? How many words can he find to begin with the letter W that challenge us to live for Christ? Joyce Myers has said that she sees the church as a group of pregnant women. And they're so pregnant that the baby can't get out. She says, we are bursting with the word of God. We are overfed and overnurtured as Christians and we are not sharing it with anybody. And we're so full, we can't. Now, Doc Madison says, I like that image, Joyce Myers, but if you've ever seen the children's movie, Wally, where the people are on a spaceship ark because the world was destroyed by our own inability to care for it. And these people are cared for by the robots and they just keep getting bigger and bigger so that they ride around in these hover chairs because they can't even walk. That's the image I get. We are overfed Christians. And what does Jesus say? We have to go. So there's really three things I think that Jesus is addressing with us today and to the disciples back then. And the first one is some disciples were choosing not to see or recognize Jesus. So it's delightful. Our school has added pre-K three and four. So I am not hanging out with the three-year-olds. I hang out with the four-year-olds. I get to take them out on the playground for their breathing breaks. But I was walking down the hall, I couldn't help but overhear two of the three-year-old teachers talking about a little boy. I didn't hear his name. 
and he has a beautiful little baby sister named Vanessa. But he didn't want a baby sister named Vanessa. He wanted a little brother. Well, he wanted the brother so much that from the day mom and dad brought Vanessa home, he just decided to call her Joe Bob. That's it. He's decided, I am not going to see a girl. I'm not going to treat her like a girl. I'm just going to call her Joe Bob. And that's exactly the sum attitude people have towards Christ. All the evidence is there. It's staring them in the face. It's conclusive. The jury of time and history for us has declared the verdict. Yet much of the world, and sometimes Christians, choose not to believe it. Thank God they don't call him Joe Bob. One of the other challenges is this. We treat the resurrection like it's the end of the story. Little girl decided to make her mom an Easter card and she was watching Saturday morning cartoons and she didn't want to draw a tomb and she didn't want to draw a bunny rabbit. So she just drew three thought balloons on the front of the card. And the first one said, Happy Easter. And the second one said, let me catch up here. The second one said, Christ is risen. And she thought and she thought and she thought. And then she wrote, that's all, folks. <laughs> ah, no, this is not the end of the story. If it were the end of the story, it would have not gone anywhere. The church of Jesus Christ is called to take that light into the world. The last thing that probably is true for most of us is, well, it's a story called The Big Black Door. There was a general in Persia who was in charge of dealing with spies that were caught. They were having a, a battle and he would catch the sky, spies and he would take the spies out and he would say, you can face the firing squad or you can take the big black door. One day, one of his assistants heard this discussion and he went inside and then he heard the shots. And he said to the general, General, can you tell me what's up with the big black door? What's behind it? Is it a tiger? Is it a guy with a sword? What, what's back there? And the general said, you know what? The big black door leads to freedom. But very few people are willing to be brave enough to walk through something that they don't know. Friends, <laughs> standing here is like dying. The church will die if we stay here and we treat it like a safety box, a safety deposit box or a fortress. We have to choose to walk through the big black door. Now there's a great old hymn and I'm not going to sing it for you. I already did my singing today. But it's been stuck in my head since I wrote this sermon. And the problem is, I didn't get a chance to talk to Kara about it. But here it is. Take the name of Jesus ever as a shield from every snare. If temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Precious name, oh so sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Well, what does this mean for us? Have you ever heard a sermon that you especially liked? 
Tell somebody. Not only tell somebody, tell them where they can find it. We're on Spotify. We're on Google. We're on iTunes. We are on 10 to 12 different places in the internet. All they have to type in is Madison's Musing into Google or Yahoo, and we are now the first hit. It comes up. Have you learned a new truth from Wiki Sunday School class or my adult Bible study? Tell somebody. There's something happening in our church. The teaching at our church is really inspiring me. I would love for you to come and hear it. Has God blessed you? Has God healed you? Has God comforted you? Has God inspired you? Tell somebody. Why? Jesus said it best. You are witnesses. Take Christ with you when you leave. Amen.